Proverbs 16.32. Solomon says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. I don't know if you've heard that, that scripture before, but you read it and you say, wow. Why is that? Why is he that is slow to anger better than the mighty? And he that ruleth his spirit, his own spirit, or temper, so to speak, than he that taketh the city. That's a pretty uh, amazing statement. Uh, and the answer is, we're going to look at this today. Why is that the case? And why is that so important? And that scripture is just going to be an example for the word today that God's given me. But because of this, this would be the answer to that question. Why is it so important to be slow to anger? Why is it so important to rule your own spirit? Because any life or any area of our life that is not under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, any area of our life, and here it was speaking of the temper, so to speak, our anger, how quickly we get anger. Any area of our life that is not fully under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that is not fully governed by the Spirit of Almighty God, will be a snare to you. It will be a hindrance to you and me. It will, it will trip us up. And last week we, we talked about the preeminence of Christ in all things. I just want to read the Scripture to you. This was our message from last week. This in a way would be a continuance of last week's sermon. But Colossians 1.18 says, And He is the head, speaking of Christ, the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Okay, the preeminence. Christ is to have the preeminence in all things. That means first in rank and first in influence. That in all things, that's very all-encompassing. We talk about Christ being preeminent in all things. It means all things. It's not just in creation, like we talked about last week over the trees and the fish and, and the weather. And God's preeminent over all these things. He's the master of the winds and the waves and, and everything. He created it. He formed it. It all functions uh, at His bidding. It all functions for His glory. He upholds every living thing, the Bible says, and satisfies like the ravens that we don't even see that are out there somewhere flying around. He gives them their meat in due season. All of it. But it's not just that God is preeminent in all of creation. We are created in the image of God. And Christ must be preeminent in our lives. Not just in our doctrine, not just in our theology, that we say, I put God first in everything and I go to church on Sundays, but that He is preeminent in every area of my life, every area of my own individual life, okay? That Christ would be preeminent. And if He's not, there's going, there are going to be hindrances in my life, hindrances in my servant service to the Lord and walk with the Lord. He must be allowed full reign. Jesus Christ must be allowed full reign in, over our lives. He must be sovereign. There's a song that we sing. You are sovereign over us, right? He must be sovereign over our lives with no rival. Sometimes I'll have a rival in my heart towards God or against God, I guess you would say, because it, it's usually me. It's usually my own self and my own will. God's Word clearly says this, but I really would rather this. 
God says this, and in my wisdom, which is so puny and finite and limited and carnal, my own wisdom rivals that and says, you know what? I think I know a little bit better. I wouldn't say those words, but sometimes in my actions, I will live that way. It's sin. It's a rebellion against the Lord. Maybe nobody ever sees it in your life or my life. And we're still Christians and we go on. But the Lord must be sovereign over our lives with no rival in all things. That in all things, He might have the preeminence. Not just over the volcanoes and the hurricanes and the sun and the moon and the stars and the galaxies, but preeminent in your heart, in your will, in your life, in your decisions that you make, in your time and how you spend your money and what you set before your eyes. Everything. He must have the preeminence. Not in some areas of our lives, not in most areas of our lives, but in every area of our lives. This means areas of your life that are currently under the rule of Christ and area in my life and carry, uh, in areas of your life that are not currently under the rule of Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? The areas where you've submitted and things are going fine between you and the Lord. And you're, you're submissive and obedient in this area and gladly so. And the areas that you are not as of now walking in submission to the Lord where He is not reigning. It means all of those areas that have to be brought subject to Christ. And if the Lord does not reign over every part of my life, I will be hindered by it. And I will be hindered by it. This is, the, this is kind of like a thought for this morning. I will be hindered. Not that I'm lost. If I'm, saved, if I'm saved, I'm saved. Okay? If I'm born again, I'm born again. But if I'm born again and Christ is not reigning over every area of my life, I will be hindered. And I will be hindered as a whole. I won't just be hindered in that area. Does that make sense? I won't just, if, if there's a little, what I would think, a little area over my, of my life over here that is not subject to Christ. I'm doing what I want to do as opposed to what God's Word says I should be as a believer and what I should do. Then I'm not going to just be hindered in that little area over there. It is going to hinder me entirely to some degree. I can't say to, to what degree, but it will hinder me and it will hinder me in, in every part of my life. We may think that uh, maybe we've thought or maybe we think that, okay, yeah, I've got some areas of my life that are not what they should be. It's, if we want to call it this, an unsubmitted area of my life. As a Christian, I've got some area of my life that's unsubmitted. And we might think it's small. We might think it's insignificant. It's not anything that going to get me thrown into Angola for doing, okay? It's small. It's insignificant. We might think it's isolated. Uh, it's, it's just right here in this little area that I'm not really following Christ fully. I'm disobedient right here. But it won't really affect me over in the rest of my life. It won't really affect this over here. This is just some little thing that I've got my own little secret sin or whatever over here, and it's not going to affect me over here, but it will. It will. It will affect you. It will affect me until it's brought unto the Lordship of Christ. We think it won't cause me any harm. It won't really uh, cause any real problems to my life or to my ministry. It won't hinder me in other areas of my life, but it will. That little unsubmitted area of your life or my life 
will cause not a little problems, it will cause great difficulties in our life. The Bible says a little sin. Remember what the Bible says? A little sin leavens the whole lump. So you get the picture if we don't even know what these words mean. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Leaven is a, is a picture of sin in that passage. So leaven would be the yeast that makes the, the dough rise into bread. So where it's not just a cracker, it's a big cake or something like that. So you take the little bit of yeast, it doesn't take much. I don't know, I don't, I don't bake. When you stick it in the, the, the dough, the ball of dough, and you mix it up, whatever you, however much you put in, you mix it all into the dough that you've made, you put it in the oven, and that little bit of leaven causes the whole thing to rise to a fluffy loaf of bread or whatever it is. Uh, in its picture in that past scripture that I quoted of being sin. A little sin, does, it doesn't say leavens a little area of your life. A little sin leavens the whole lump, just like that yeast does. Okay, And so that little unsubmitted area of my life will cause difficulties in all of my life to some extent. It'll manifest itself in some hindrance, some uh, something greater than just that little sin. It's going to rear up its ugly head and it's going to affect me in my life as a whole. And I think it's very important that we see that. That little unleavened, unleavenedness in my life, that unsubmitted area where Christ is not preeminent right here, we think we've got it under control. It's going to cause great difficulties. It's going to cause great uh, heartaches, frustrations, failures, setbacks. And until repented of and forsaken and brought under the Lordship of Christ and, and under His rule, it's going to hinder me in other areas. Again, we might think, I have this little area of my life that's not under the Lordship of Christ, but it's really contained. I've really got it under control. I'm 90% really doing well. I'm aware of this in my life that sin or not godly, not Christ-like. I'm not obedient in this area. And yet, it's not, overall, it's not really going to cause any real problems. It's, it's contained. It won't really affect anything else, but it will. God wants us to know that it will. It is already. And it will. And we're not going to turn here. We have some other scriptures we're going to look at. But in the Song of Solomon, there's just one little phrase I want to quote to you. You might have heard it before, not know where it came from. The little foxes that spoil the vines. That's from Song of Solomon chapter 3. And, and I'm, I'm pulling it just, just that one phrase out of the scripture. But little, the little foxes spoil the vine. They spoil it. And spoil means to pervert, to destroy. So a little fox that might be a cute little thing, you don't think that much of it. In, in, the, in the parable kind of sense, it's spoiling the vine, it's destroying the vine. Maybe it's chewing it up. Chewing up the fruit of the vine. Chewing up the vine itself. And, and you think, that just little cute little critter just ruined all my hard work. You know, and you think it's, it's no big deal. There's just some little foxes playing out there. But when we're speaking, when we relate it to sin, it's like the little leaven. The little foxes that spoil the vines, they destroy it. It also means to bind tightly, 
So I was just trying to picture that, how that would relate to sin, how you could be bound up in a sin tightly when you're proclaiming liberty and freedom in Christ and the joy of the Lord. And yet because of some knowing, and I'm talking about we knowingly have some area in our life that's, that's sinful and we're not dealing with it. Not an area of the life that we're struggling with and, and we're crying out to God and we're at the altar and He's helping us and we, we sometimes slide back into it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an area of our life where it's just off limits to God. This is my little deal and I'm okay with it. But God's not okay with it. You understand what I'm saying? There's a rebellion in that. And there is a usurping of God's reign and rule in our lives. And we think it's just a little thing. I'm really serving God pretty well, except for this. And we're not even going to deal with it, seriously deal with it and go to God with it and ask to be set free from it or forsake it. That's going to, that's going to spoil the vine. It's, it means it's going to bind us up tightly or destroy. And so don't ignore it. If you have something like that in your life, and I'll speak of this to myself as well, don't, don't ignore that little sin. Don't, uh, don't think that, that we can compartmentalize our lives. That's how I put it. Here's my church life. It's doing pretty good. Here's my walk with God. Except for this little part, and I'm going to shut it up in a little box over here. And nobody knows about it. Well, God knows about it. And we can't divide up our lives, y'all, between spiritual and secular. Spiritual and secular. Uh, God's and mine. This, this part of my life is God's. And this part of my life is mine. Could be we do it with money. I give this much of my money. That's God's. The rest is mine. It's really all His. We pay our tithes. We offer as God leads us. But it's all His. We may do that with our time. This is God's time, okay? But then I punch the time clock and I'm on my time now. It doesn't work that way. He purchased us, amen, with His blood. And we compartmentalize our lives sometimes. This is my work life. This is my home life. This is my public life. But this over here is my private life and I do what I want. You know what? It's all got to be brought to the cross. It's all brought to the cross. My leisure time, my work time, uh, my me time. God gives us time to relax. He gives us what we would call me time, but it's really His time as well. It's all His. And we need to bring it to the Lord. Bring it to the cross. Let Him have a, a preeminence in all things. John says this, This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. I don't stand up here before you as one that's perfected and say, in Randy there's no darkness at all. I can say before you that in Christ there's no darkness at all. Christ lives in me. And He desires to have the preeminence. I understand that and I get it. And I want to yield to that. I want to cooperate with God in that. I want to say yes, Lord, to that. Because there's areas in my life, time to time, that are dark. They're sinful. They're not Christ-like. But in Him is no darkness at all. So it's not the point of once... that Even John was not perfected when he was writing that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It is the point of you understand it spiritually 
This is to come under the Lordship of Christ. This in me that nobody knows about except Jesus in me is to be brought under His Lordship and under the rule of Christ. I understand it and I agree with it. And then I'll do whatever He tells me to do by His grace and by His Holy Spirit to work that in me. To make me that. So this is not shaking our finger. This is, do we see it? Do you see any areas of your life that are not? Do we agree that God should have authority and rule in that area of my life? That there's no darkness in Him, therefore there should be no darkness in me. But there is some areas of darkness. There are some areas of darkness in me. So God, I come to You. And we come to Him for help. And I want to read this, y'all. If, uh, before I do, if, if I'm going to actually, as a believer live as a king and a priest. Isn't that what the Bible says just about believers in general? Not just about Paul and Moses. That He's made us kings and priests unto our God. In Revelation chapter 1. He under whom He loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood and has made us kings and priests unto our God. If I'm actually going to live as a king and a priest unto my God, if I'm actually going to live as the head and not the tail, which the Bible says we're to be, if I'm actually going to live in reality and not just a Sunday school lesson as more than a conqueror through him who loved me as a son of the most high as a servant of the most high if I'm going to live that way then those areas of my life have to be brought in subjection to the Lord they have to be if I'm actually going to walk in victory and power Jesus must be supreme so to speak over every area I want to read one, one quote from uh, a Christian minister. He says, A servant is not in power and servant in service only, but in every position. A servant is not in power unto the Lord in service only, but in every position. We are, if I'm going to stand in this pulpit and preach to you, uh, Katie and Damien are going to sit in these chairs up here an hour and a half ago and teach Sunday school. If we're going to serve in that way, then it's, our power is not just for that moment, for that service. I need to be that all the time. I need to be that all the time. Am I that all the time? No. Am I increasingly becoming more like that? Yes. We're, God is working in us, to, willing to do of His good pleasure. He is conforming us to His image. But when we don't walk in that uh, fullness of, of our Christ-likeness and godliness. Don't excuse it. Don't take on a new doctrine that will help you excuse it better. Repent of it. Bring it under the authority of Christ. I don't always have to know about what's going on in your life every second. There are times we confess to others and we need someone to hold us accountable. Praise God for it. But as a whole... We need to, the point of this is that, that I need to be, if I'm a servant of God, I'm a servant of God all the time. Not just when I'm witnessing to somebody or standing before some others, teaching them the Word of God on Friday nights at youth group. If I'm a servant of God, then I'm a servant all the time. And if I'm going to walk in victory, I need to walk in victory not just for some dangerous part of town handing out tracts. I need to walk in the victory of the Lord when I'm the, nobody's around. It's just me and the Lord. And maybe a TV set. Okay? I need to walk in victory all the time. 
or it's going to affect me when I go to share the gospel with somebody else. Don't think it's not. It is. It will. It will absolutely affect you and it will affect me as well. So, a Christian is always a Christian, but the Lord has to reign all the time and He doesn't always reign all the time. I want to mention just a few areas. This is not all by, by long shot all the areas where Christ must reign, but I want to read uh, to point out a few because we start out with controlling our temper and our spirit from that Proverbs 16, right? A man who who uh, slow to anger and, and governs his own spirit is better than him, him that takes cities. The Lord must have reign over our tongue and our speech. The Lord has to have reign over this thing. James calls it an unruly member, right? We can put uh, bridles in horses' mouths or, or sails or, or oars, or rudders on ships and steer that huge vessel where you want it to go. But he says, uh, the, the tongue no man can tame. You know who can tame it? The Lord can. God can tame it. If we bring that tongue to the altar to the Lord and say, govern my speech, I realize it's not. I'm doing so well in all these areas of my life, but I have a tendency here to talk too much. I have a tendency to say too much. To always go one sentence, one minute, say a little too much. Okay? And it turns from being wholesome speech into something coarse jesting or wholesome speech into gossip or wholesome speech into to whatever. And we, we ha- God has to be a ruler over my tongue. I'm going to read this. If any man among you seem to be re- religious, James 1.26, and bridleth not his tongue, he, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. I didn't make I didn't say that. that's what the word of God says. If any man among you seems to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Vanity, it means it's just it's uh it's vanity, it's just a waste. It's not going to prosper, it's not going to last. And so Christ must reign over our tongue. Our speech, the Bible says, is to be with grace. Our speech, the Bible says, is to be seasoned with salt. The Bible says that we're to speak the truth in love. The Bible says, wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And so this is one area where where Christ has to reign supreme. And it's in our speech and over our tongues. Another area would be the Lord must reign over my body, my physical body. He must reign over my body, my actions, what I do with myself, basically. Where do I go? What do I listen to? What do I uh, set before my eyes? What do I do and don't do? The Apostle Paul, we all know the passage in 1 Corinthians 9.27, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. There couldn't be a better uh, person you could hardly think of than the, the missionary of all missionaries, the evangelist of all evangelists, the, the apostle of all apostles, basically Paul, to say that, look, after I preach to others, and I would say before he preached to others, he says, I keep my body, keep under my body and bring it into subjection. You know what that means when he says, I bring my own body into subjection? It means to subdue, to enslave. 
My body is, you know what it's simply saying here to me? My body's not going to call the shots. My body wanted to sleep in this morning, but I didn't sleep in this morning. Neither did you, or or I wouldn't be looking at you, okay? Your body wanted to though, right? Your body wants to overeat. Your body wants to do just the things that are, are, please it. But Paul says, I'm not a slave to that. I'm bringing my body and I'm going to subdue it by the Holy Ghost. The Bible says, if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body. It's by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not self-determination, although we do determine to do it. We determine to do it by God's strength and by the, by the grace of God, right? But it is a subjection of bringing that body under the Lordship of Christ. The Lord has to reign. You know, it's not enough for the believer to believe correctly. It's not enough for the believer to believe correct doctrine, which we must, and to proclaim and profess and preach correct doctrine, which we must, we're commanded to. We have to live it. We have to live it out. We have to live it out, not just when we're with each other and we we live it out perfectly in front of each other. We need to live it out when we go home. And when the children go off to school and, and so forth, we need to live it all the time. We, we live it out, sound doctrine. James 3.13 says, Who is wise a man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. I read it again. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? So we say to the church, lost men don't have this kind of wisdom, and endued with knowledge. Uh, let him show it. Out of a good conversation, that means out of his behavior, out of his lifestyle, out of his conduct. Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. We display our Christianity. We display the fact that Christ has preeminence over my life. Not because I quote Colossians 1.18, that in all things Christ might have the preeminence, but that I show it because in practice, day to day, by the Holy Ghost, We're walking in the Spirit and we're showing forth a changed life. That God's changed me. I used to curse and I don't curse anymore. I'm keeping my temper by the grace of God. I'm keeping my speech. I used to gossip. I don't gossip. Even as a Christian, I used to gossip, you might say, or whatever. But God is helping me. We show forth out of a good conversation. And so I'm going to read it again. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. We demonstrate the reality of a changed life, the reality of a risen Savior uh, by ourselves. We are the epistles of God. Doesn't it say written, read of all men? Written by God and read of all men. We are. It's not just this Word of God. It's the Word of God which is living. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And I have been transformed and am being transformed, and so have you, that new life in Christ is a new life in Christ. How can I possibly tell people of that? They need to see that. They need to see that my life is different. They know that their cursing is a sin, but they need to see that you used to curse and you don't anymore. And it's not a New Year's resolution. It's, it's being born again. It's being filled with the Holy Ghost. It's being governed at every moment 
in the easy moments and the hard moments by the Holy Ghost and that mouth being subject to Christ when you wanted to maybe say something or maybe in the days before you would have said something unkind, hateful, spiteful, whatever it may have been, ungodly. And God is governing bridling in my mouth and He's also changing the heart to work because the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And my longing to do that has been replaced by longing to please Christ in that moment. You understand? what I'm, That's a real victory. People see that. We show forth out of a changed life. We show forth out of our good conversation with meekness and, and wisdom and fear and so forth. We show it. And His love is seen in us. It's seen by our yieldedness to Christ. Amen? As I quote this scripture all the time. We have this treasure in, a, in an earthen vessel. The earthen vessel is nothing special. Lost people have earthen vessels. Just these humanity, our carnal bodies. But we have this treasure as born again people in earthen vessels. Specifically, the Holy Spirit. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. The, the excellency that's within us and the treasure that is within us is Christ. But He's got to be seen. So he's not going to be seen if I'm usurping his authority uh, here and there and doing what I want to do. There's be an inconsistency. There's not much of a testimony for a risen Savior or the power of God to change a life when I'm not living as though my life has been changed. Amen? God would have us to be that way. And so if I, and I'm going I'm to be wrapping this up, but if I refuse or if we refuse the Lord, his rightful rule over some part of our lives, we will suffer. We will suffer. We'll not only suffer in that area, we'll suffer as a whole. Think about it. We're a whole person. Your, your body is a whole body. It's a whole, you're a whole person. He's a whole God. Okay? He's an entire God. And He's an entire Savior. And this life that I live is an entire life. We can't just say, it'll affect me over here, but not over here. You ever had a toothache? A really bad toothache? You ever had a kidney stone? It affects your whole body. You can't do anything else. You see, a tiny little kidney stone is about like a grain of sand. Are you kidding me? This thing's going to hurt me this bad? Make a grown man cry? But it does. And it's the same if any area of our life that's not fully submitted to the Lord, it is going to affect all of our lives. I want to read a couple more quotes. The believer is a servant of the Lord, as a servant of the Lord declares his power by the way he rules his own spirit, which is better than taking a city. A man of power must walk in power everywhere. If he would have to be in power anywhere. I love that quote. A man of power, which we claim to walk in the power of Christ, right? Power of a risen life. A man of power must walk in power everywhere. If he would be in power anywhere. We have to walk it out all the time. Say, I want to be strong in the pulpit. I want to be strong when I sing a song and lead in worship. I want to be strong when I, uh, you know, doing some type of ministry like that. But, but we have to walk in that power all the time. It's just going to carry on over into the pulpit. 
It's just going to carry on over into on the platform singing or uh, sharing the gospel with somebody else out there. You understand what I'm saying? If I'm going to be that man of God or that woman of God, I need to walk with the Lord all the time. Elijah, I was thinking about Elijah. Elijah was not just a man of power when he was calling down fire from heaven and the 850 prophets, prophets of Baal were then killed. He was not just a man of power there because if I looked at his life, I'd say that that's what a demonstration of the holiness and the power of God. He is God's man. And look what he was able to do. And he did. God allowed him and used him to do it. But he was a man of power all the time. He had told he had spoken to Obadiah before that and says, as the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand. Elijah stood before the Lord all the time. He was a servant of the Most High all the time. He just comes on the scene. He shuts up the heavens and it doesn't rain. He calls down fire from heaven. He prays and the little cloud the size of a man's hand rises and it does rain after uh, three and a half years of drought. He's not just in power in those moments. He was that man all the time. He was that man all the time. And so... It's so important. There's only one Holy Spirit. And if He is hindered in any spot, if there is any dark spot, there is necessarily a hindrance in every spot. Where the greatest defect exists, there will be distinct superiority over it in the man of power. And it's simply saying this, that... He's one Holy Spirit. If I'm grieving the Holy Spirit, if I'm quenching the Holy Spirit in this little area, what I listen to, the friends I hang out with, what I watch on TV, my bad temper with my wife, and I say, it's just there. It's just right there. That one little spot. There's only one Holy Spirit. I'm grieving Him there. There's only one Christ. I'm disobeying Him there. That has to be dealt with is all I'm saying. If I'm going to walk in the fullness of power that I read about, that I dream about, that we talk about, that we hope for and long for, and I want it to be all-encompassing, then I need to walk in that yieldedness in every area, including that area over there that I haven't dealt that seriously with about. Because I think it's just that little area. God wants us to bring it to Him. Amen? He wants us to bring it to Him and to lay it all at His feet. And so... Uh, it's going to hinder our effectiveness for Christ. It's going to affect or hinder our, our usefulness for the Lord. And so what, and I'm going to, the way I would like to close this morning is that area of weakness. That's what I'll call it. It's an area that's not submitted to Christ. And it's a weakness. And we excuse it. We might even hear messages and sermons and read modern day books that excuse it. And say, we just kind of wink and say, we've all got our little hang-ups. And it's really a sin. But we've all got our little mess ups. And God knows, God knows we're not perfect. Yes, He does know we're not perfect. But He's called us to be perfect. He's called us to be holy. He's perfect. You understand what I'm saying? And so we hear these little things that excuse and pat on the back and kind of wink at it. And oh, we all have our besetting sins and so forth. Yes, we probably do. All have our besetting sins. But it's a sin nonetheless. It needs to be brought to the cross. It needs to be dealt with. And if I have to deal with that one a lot harder and longer than I had to deal with the last one, then so be it. 
And I'm going to deal with it honestly before the Lord and let God by His Holy Ghost burn that chaff off. His blood will forgive me. But as far as getting that thing out of my life, it's going to be a sanctifying of the Holy Spirit working in my life to get it out. It will trip me up. He will trip me up. But can I tell you, the Lord can help us. The Lord can help us and He can help you in that area of your absolute greatest weakness. Maybe your spouse doesn't even know. Maybe your parents don't know. Um, the greatest weakness in your life morally or spiritually, God can help us. And He can help you in that area that you thought you would never be free of. He can help you and will help you in that area that you thought you never would be free from. Amen? And in the Bible, let, let's read, read this. We're, we're about to close, but James chapter 5. James 5, 5 through 9. I'm sorry, that's not John. I'm sorry, John chapter 5, 5 through 9. John chapter 5, 5 through 9. I'll go ahead and read it. This was at the pool of Bethesda and, and this interesting story where the people, the sick people would lay around the pool, right? And they wait for an angel to trouble the waters. This must have actually happened. Uh, a certain season, the angel would come and stir up the waters, and whoever got in the water first after the angel that troubled the waters was healed. It's an unusual thing. It's a unique thing. But it, it was actually happened. And so there was a certain man, John 5, 5, was there and had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying, knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on, on the same was the Sabbath day. A couple of things. There's a lot we could get from this. But in relating to what we're talking about today, you and I might have had some condition in our life not a sickness, but a sin that we're talking about, unsubmitted to Christ for a long time. This man was this way for 38 years, waiting for that one special moment. And Jesus just came along and says, take up your bed and walk. And I think it's very interesting. This is a very simple story. But what was his weakness? He wasn't able to walk. He was powerless to walk. He was crippled. He was laying on a bed. And he probably had to be carried about from place to place. His greatest weakness was his inability to walk his legs. But when the Lord touched him, he touched him in that area of that greatest weakness and literally said, rise, take up your bed and walk. So he, he had been laying there 38 years on a bed, probably. And when Jesus touched him, he's carrying out his bed. He doesn't need any more. God wants to touch you in that area of your greatest weakness. He wants to touch you and me in the areas we've struggled for so long. It's unsubmitted to Christ. It's not under His Lordship. We've thought we can't be helped in that area. It's too difficult for me. Uh, I've tried before and failed. 
uh, whatever the, the reasons are, God wants to touch us right there and set us free. Could be fear. Could be worrying. Could be worried about your children. It could be, uh, could be all, uh, a million different things. And it doesn't mean you're not saved. It means that area is not under the authority of Christ. It needs to be. And until it is, it's going to hinder you. It's going to hinder you all over. As a whole, it's going to hinder us. And God wants to reign in every area of our life. And so I'll quote that scripture again about the little, the little foxes that spoil the vines. A vineyard, when I was studying this, a vineyard speaks of our communion with the Lord. A vineyard speaks with our intimacy with Christ and also our fruitfulness in Christ. And the little foxes spoil that. So it, it does represent that. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that the vineyard represents our fruitfulness to Christ, our intimacy, our communion with the Lord. And the little foxes, the little sins, the little areas of my life that are not dealt with yet, they're going to spoil that. They're going to hinder that. My fruitfulness for Christ. It's going to affect me across the board. And the Lord wants to set us free. Amen. He wants to set us free from all of these things. And so the, the man that was paralyzed at the pool, God touched him in his area of greatest weakness. He touched him as areas of greatest defect. And then he would had the mastery over that, so to speak. Isn't that awesome? And I know it's a simple thing. He healed the lame man. Praise God. But when you think about it, that was his greatest weakness and need. It defined his life. 38 years. It defined his whole life. God touched him in that area of weakness. And he was strong and healed and whole in that area. And it affected his whole life. Not just his legs. His whole life was changed. When the blind man in John chapter 9 was healed, it affected his whole life. It wasn't just, okay, I can see him, no big deal. That would change everything, wouldn't it? From being blind your whole life to seeing, it would change. And God wants to change our lives, y'all. Indeed, you can come up. I'm going to read this scripture one more time. I said, as I said, it's in a way, it's a carryover from last week's sermon. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He wants to be preeminent, y'all. First in rank and first in influence in every area of my life. It all needs to be subdued under the Lordship of Christ. If we'll be but willing to be made willing, he'll help us. He's not asking you to fix yourself. He is saying, like, the, like Jesus said to the lame man, will you be made whole? He is asking us that, there's no doubt. The things you struggle with, the sins in your life, He's asking you this morning, and you need to answer Him. Will you be made whole from this? And we say sincerely a yes to that. And we give the rest to God. Well, here I come, Lord. Like that song, just as I am, you know, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. If you will just say yes, I'm willing to be made whole. I really am. And come and meet with the Savior. He'll, he'll set you free from that thing. And you'll be free. And this is such a liberty and a freedom that would transcend just that little area of your life because the little leaven's leaven in the whole lump and you don't even see it. We don't even realize it. 
Come and let the Lord deal with you. It may not all be finished this morning, but I tell you, make a good start this morning in meeting with the Lord and allowing Him to begin that work in your life. It may be finished this morning. That's between you and the Lord. The Father, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus.